Morning, y'all. How are you guys doing this morning? As EJ said, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my privilege to, to get to bring God's word to us this morning. And before we dive into the text this morning, would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are a God that speaks, that you have given us your word, and that through it, we can find you and who we're meant to be. God, we pray that you would speak loudly this morning. I pray that you would speak through me. God, that we would leave this place having heard your word. Not Adam's thoughts, but yours. And so may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O oh Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Have you ever known somebody so impressive that you wanted to be like them in almost every way? And I'm not talking about the unachievable hero, like the superhero type, not the Superman or Wonder Woman or Black Panther type. I'm talking about a real person that you could actually be like. Have you ever met somebody so impressive that you wanted to be like them? Because they had a life worth imitating. For me in high school, that person was Dan Brock. Dan Brock was an incredible person. He uh, was also the guy that God used to draw me to himself. But beyond that, he was impressive because he was a great dad to his five kids. He was a good husband to his wife, Heidi. He was a good athlete at soccer and football and even weird sports like rugby that he taught us. And things like paintball, like whose youth pastors out there like shooting them with paint, like destroying all the kids. It's like, come on, give us a chance. But anyway, so he was impressive in those ways, but he was also impressive in other ways too. Things like he was a great mechanic at everything from bicycles to cars. He cared for people really, really well, even awkward and difficult high schoolers like I was at that time. And not only that, but Dan loved Jesus with everything he had. There's a story about Dan breaking down late, late one night and a tow truck driver picking him up. And this guy was super grumpy because he was like the tow truck driver that was on call and got called at like one o'clock in the morning to go pick up this guy and his truck. And, uh, and he shares the gospel with this grumpy tow truck driver and the guy receives Christ. Like, what? Like, Dan was impressive. But not only that, but the thing that was probably most impressive to me at that time about Dan was the fact that he knew that he didn't have it all together. He knew that he wasn't perfect. And so for the most part, when Dan messed up, he admitted it. He asked for forgiveness. When he didn't show up when he was supposed to show up, he apologized, he owned it, and he sought reconciliation. Dan had a life worth imitating. And today, as we go to the text, we're going to look at a passage in the Bible about someone else who had a life worth imitating. And we're going to look at them not only model it, but teach why we ought to follow their life as well. Um, we've been in a series about discipleship called Marked. And this is our final week in that series. We've been here for eight weeks now. And, uh, and I want to give us just a real quick recap of what we've talked about in this area of discipleship. Uh, first, we started off with a vision um, 
behind being disciples who go on to make other disciples. Uh, Then we also talked uh, about um, Jesus's one command, and that one command being make disciples. And then we dove into what discipleship is, and we talked about uh, discipleship being Jesus-centric, making it personal, making it transferable, making it mission-orientated. And then last week, we talked about how to be a Timothy. How to be a Timothy because we must first be a disciple before we can make disciples, because we can't take someone where we haven't been. And so this week, we're going to close out the series by talking about how to be a Paul, how to be a disciple maker. And Paul is writing to his his disciple, Timothy, and talking about discipleship. And so uh, we are going to be looking at his letter to his protege, Timothy, in the second letter, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. And I would encourage you to turn there uh, if you have a Bible or you have a Bible app. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles under the seats in front of you. You can use one of those. Um, and if not, and you're at home or you don't have access to one, we'll put it on the screens as well. But uh, 2 Timothy can be found at the back of the Bible. It's uh, after First and Second Thessalonians, before Titus, Philemon, and the book of Hebrews. Um, and again, we'll put it on the screens if you don't end up finding it. That's fine. Um, but while you're turning there, uh, I want to give us a little bit of a background to this letter and this book. Give us some context. Like I said, this is Paul's, uh, one of his last letters, uh, and he's writing to his protege, Timothy, Um, Paul knew Timothy really well, so well in fact, and he had trained up Timothy um, to the point that he actually handed off uh, the church in Ephesus to Timothy to pastor that church. Um, Timothy and Paul had traveled uh, all over the world, um, in that part of the world, all over the the Middle East, uh, doing ministry and planting churches. And for all of those years, Paul had uh, been Timothy's discipler. Uh, And so Paul writes this letter to his disciple to encourage him, to encourage him because Timothy had been going through some hard times, some persecutions and sufferings for his leadership and for his ministry. And Paul, having gone through this as well, was writing to him to encourage him. And the, the, the passage right before what we're looking at gives us some really good um, material to understand what we're going to dive into. And so the section right before describes the difficult days and times that they're living in, the kind of people that are existing during that time. Uh, Paul says this, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, to which every parent in the room said, yeah, that sounds like today. Uh, They'll be ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. He goes on and on. And then he says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I don't know about you, but this doesn't sound like the context to a letter 2,000 years ago. This sounds like the, the day and the time that we're living in right here and right now. Yeah, this sounds personal. And then Paul tells Timothy to avoid those kinds of people. 
He even gives a couple of examples of those kind of people that they both knew, which I don't know about you, but anytime I, I see a negative example given in the Bible, I'm like, oh man, that poor person being used as the negative example for the rest of eternity. <laughs> and then we come to our text, and our text reads this. Again, 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This passage starts off in verses 10 through 13, reminding Timothy that he isn't to follow the ways of the world or the leaders of this world, but he is to follow the good example that Paul has set for him that he is to follow this example that Paul has set for him because Paul has a life worth imitating. A life worth imitating in Jesus. With that in mind, let's look at that passage again, listening for how Paul had this life worth imitating and how he's calling Timothy to follow him. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul had a life worth imitating, a life worth imitating above the world that's being deceived and deceiving. Paul had a godly life in Christ Jesus. So he's reminding Timothy how he's followed Paul's way in the past and in this difficult time that he's going through and with the difficult people that are surrounding him, he is to follow it all the more. And he gives quite an exhaustive list, does he not? Paul has demonstrated all of these following things. First, his teaching his teaching and preaching of the gospel. Secondly, his conduct, the way he lived before Timothy and the watching world. Three, his aim in life, Paul's vision that he was living out to see the kingdom of God come, to see the gospel spread, the good news about Jesus. Fourth, his faith, how Paul trusted Jesus and how he lived out his belief in the gospel. His patience, Paul was patient for the movement of God in both the provision that God was giving him as well as the ministry itself. Sixth, his love, Paul lived out 
a self-sacrificial life for the sake of other people and for the sake of Timothy. His steadfastness, Paul stayed steady in his faith and love, even in the midst of trials and tribulations and critique. Eighth, his persecutions and suffering. Paul endured a lot of hard times and sufferings for his belief in Jesus and for his ministry. And with all of those things, he lists it out and he says, as you have followed me, continue following me. This is an impressive list in Paul's life. Truly, Paul had a life worth imitating if he can call you to follow all of these areas. You know, as I was studying this passage and, and looking into it, one day I was reading through it and it just caused me to pause at the end of this list and ask myself this question. Do I have a life worth imitating? And what about you? Do you have a life worth imitating? Could you look at, at your life and, and, and all that you do and, and come up with a list of eight to nine things for your protege to follow? You could write them out and you, hey, you know what? In all these ways, follow me. You know, if I'm honest, I think most of the time, I don't have a life worth imitating. You know, I, I look back at that list of things that describe the people to, to avoid, and I think, well, my life kind of looks like that, too. I don't always live a life worth imitating. Instead, I fall onto the people to avoid. I'm, I can be proud. I can be arrogant. I can get angry. I can put money or things before people. I, I don't always live a life worth imitating. And I fall more into the ways of the world than I do into the ways of Jesus. And I'm not talking about the huge, egregious sins that everybody in society would name, right? I'm not talking about murder or uh, rape or something like that. I'm talking about these small little things that add up. Things that the world, the world actually agrees with. The world's okay if you're a little proud or a little arrogant or you're a little greedy. In fact, they promote it. I'm talking about those little things that even the church kind of ignores or maybe doesn't even notice or, or speak into. But we should. <laughs> Things like bragging to help ourselves feel better about ourselves or maybe just elevate ourselves a little bit more than those around us. Those little brags that we'll just go ahead and post that on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat so the whole world knows I'm a little bit better than these people. Or we put money or things as more important than people. We'd rather use our money or our time on ourselves. Well, I want this, and so I'm going to spend my money on this, and if there's something left over, maybe I'll spend it on these people. 
Maybe. I mean, who are we kidding? We're probably just going to save it for that next big purchase for ourselves. Or, or little things like I see in my home all the time. There's not enough screens to go around. So when it's screen time, everybody's jockeying for the screen that they want. And sometimes, because we only have one TV in our house, there's something on, and it's like, well, Dad wants to watch the game, so everybody else, if you want to watch something, you're watching the game. These are small things. Small things, and yet, they're on the list of people to avoid. It's a life warned about being around instead of the life worth imitating. And so if we're honest with ourselves, do we have a life worth imitating? You know, without intentionality, without help from the outside, you and I, we're going to struggle to have a life worth imitating. It might even be impossible for us. And this text, it challenges us it challenges us to get a life, to get a life worth imitating. And a life worth imitating is a life in Jesus. Jesus, the one who would give his life so that we might have life to the full. Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. A life in Jesus is a life in the Son of God. A life like Paul's that loves and serves and point people to something bigger and better and greater, to God and his kingdom. As a side note, this life in Jesus comes with persecutions and it, it, it comes with sufferings. Life in Jesus is not sheltered from the brokenness of the world. No, life in Jesus is actually attacked by the world, because the world can't control it, so it attacks it. And it is, after all, a real life, a genuine life. It's not the fake lives portrayed by many famous people around us. These famous lives that are so carefully curated to make sure that we only see the good, we only see the prim and the proper and the fantastic, and how great their lives are. And I'm sorry, but Chris Hemsworth, sorry, babe, Chris Hemsworth, Morgan Freeman, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Oprah Winfrey, their lives aren't perfect. They may be curated to make it look like they're perfect, but they're not. If we think they're perfect, we're being deceived. And if they think their lives are perfect, they're being deceived. You know, I don't even think at the end of the day, their lives are worth imitating. Because if we're honest, can we really be like them? I mean, am I ever going to look like Chris Hemsworth? Nope. Not even close. But if we can step back and see the truth for what their lives really are, we'll recognize that they're not lives worth imitating. And this text, 
is telling us this. It says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Curated lives are not real lives. They have to hide the broken bits. They have to cover up the pain and the bruises, pretend like everything is okay, pretend like their life is happy and fulfilled. They're being deceived and deceiving for the likes, for the subscribers and followers, for the money, and for just enough power and just enough fame to keep it all going. So don't be deceived. Get a life, a real life, one worth imitating. But how do we get a life, we ask? How do we grow up and mature in our lives so that our lives really are worth imitating? Well, the text goes on to tell us in verses 14 through 17. Look at it with me. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We get a life by being discipled. Paul is reminding Timothy in this situation, those people's lives may look like they got it all together and it's fulfilled and it's good, but they're being deceived and deceiving. Remember how you've been discipled. Remember in those difficult times, not to follow that, but to follow this. Remember who discipled you. Remember your for, for Timothy, his grandmother Lois, his, his mother Eunice, and, and Paul, and, and how they all discipled him. And all of that discipleship, it came from the sacred writings, Paul reminds him, from the Bible. And it's this Bible that's able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. And it's the Bible that has the very breath of God in it that makes it profitable for, for teaching, it tells us for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that we can have a life worth imitating and that we then use that life worth imitating to do every good work. We get a life by being discipled by someone who's following after the way of Jesus, the text is telling us. We get a life by, by being discipled, discipled by someone who's following after the way of Jesus. You see, Timothy was discipled by Paul, and Paul had a life worth imitating because Paul was also discipled. Paul was discipled by Gamaliel and Ananias and Barnabas and Peter and Silas. So there's some pretty impressive disciplers. That's why Paul was impressive. They had lives worth imitating because they were living examples of Jesus. Living examples of Jesus for Paul, and then Paul was a living example of Jesus for Timothy. That's how they had lives worthy of imitating, because they were living the ultimate life, the life of Jesus. 
and His ways. They were living examples of Jesus and His ways and modeling what it looks like to live faith in Jesus in the everyday, even in the difficult times, in the suffering, the problems and difficulties. And we get a life by being in the scriptures personally and with our discipler. We have got to be in our Bibles. We've got to be in our Bibles. We need to read it personally and devotionally. We need to read it in community with other people. We need someone outside of ourselves to keep us accountable for living this out. And not just living it out, but reading it. We need somebody keeping us accountable to be in it, to read it, and to live it out. So we get a life by being in the scriptures personally and with our disciples. And did you catch the importance of the scriptures in this passage? There's a very strong statement made in verses 16 and 17. It says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It is the Bible that has the life-giving breath of God for us. It is the Bible that is profitable for us to be taught and then for us to teach. It is the Bible that is profitable for reproof, for conviction, and for proof that Jesus is who he said he was. It's the Bible that's profitable for correction when we're headed astray and in the wrong direction. It's the Bible that gives us God's truth and not just our feelings, not just our own intellects or the ways of the world, the wisdom of the world. It's the Bible that gives us the truth to bring us back to a life worth imitating. And it's the Bible that's profitable for training in righteousness so that we might look a little bit more like God, set apart and holy, And it's the Bible that's the source material that equips us for every good work. And how are we to be in this Bible? What are we supposed to do with this book? Well, we're supposed to personally and devotionally read it, memorize it, pray it, and most importantly, live it out. This book is meant to be lived And all of that with someone else, with someone else walking alongside of us, maybe someone that knows a little bit more of the Bible than we do, someone a little bit further along in their faith journey that has a little bit more experience than we do, helping us to understand what this book says, helping us understand what does this look like? How do I live it in my parenting? How do I live this as a boss? How do I live this as a son? How do I live this in my marriage? How do I live this just being a neighbor? We do all of that with someone else. That's what discipleship is. Someone else walking alongside of us with this book in the center. With this book being the source material. It's how Paul became Paul. It's how Timothy became Timothy. In fact, any godly person you know 
I bet that you could go up to them and ask them, how did you become who you are? And I'm 99.9% positive they are going to tell you, I was discipled with this book. It's this book in community, being lived out, being read. This is how we get a life worth imitating in Jesus. And once we have a life worth imitating, this passage then encourages us to use it. (laughs) Part of having a life worth imitating is using it for others to imitate. Meaning, we're discipling others. We're living that life in front of other people in a, in a real way, doing the good work that God has built us up for. Because lives worthy of imitating are being imitated. Imitated in discipleship relationships. Lives worthy of imitating are, are loving other people really well, are serving people the way that Jesus did because it's Jesus' life that we are imitating, that we're trying to reflect to others. It's what we're passing down from disciple to disciple to disciple. And as I was reading through all of this, trying to apply it to my own life, I was struggling with, okay, how do you apply all of this, both what's being taught and also what's being modeled in this text? It, it led me to some, some questions that I felt like I needed to answer for myself. And so I want to bring those questions to us all as well. And these are some diagnostic questions for our lives. And it starts with one question that, that I've already asked, and it's this. Do you have a life worth imitating? And if not, get a life worth imitating by giving your life to Jesus, by surrendering it all to him. And the second diagnostic question is this, who is discipling you? Who's discipling you? Because this is how we not only get a life worth imitating, but this is how we keep a life worth imitating. I'm sorry, but discipleship is not just one and then done. It's not like, well, I became a a disciple and I, I learned the Jesus thing and so now I'm good for the rest of my life. No, we need to continually grow in our discipleship. Not that long ago, I was going through a, a pretty difficult time in life and in ministry, and it was all just piling up. And I thought, man, where's the exit ramp for all of this? And I thought, man, the church is struggling. I'm struggling in my leadership. I, I feel like I'm encountering some suffering in this and, and some persecution. Man, it would just be so much easier to just get a nine to five job, punch in, punch out, go home, love my kids and my wife, and call it good. And it sounded really enticing. It's like, well, we'll just put all the ministry on hold. But the guy that was discipling me, Robert Fritsch, he had access to my life. He knew what I was struggling with. There was no hiding it. There was no way I could curate my life in front of Robert in some way that he wouldn't see what was going on. He knew. And so when I'm like, man, that life looks way easier. I think I'm just going to bow out. Maybe for a season, just do that. 
Robert's like, that's not easier. That's not better. It's not easier because you'd been denying the call of God on your life and walking away from that. That's not easier. That's not better. You're being deceived right now. Remember the call that God put on your life. Remembering the suffering and the pain that Jesus went through and all the good that it brought. Stay with it. Jesus is with you. Jesus is going to get you through this. It's going to be worth it. And I'm so glad that I had a, a man in my life that was willing to just speak the truth to me in that moment. So who's discipling you? Who's going to speak that truth into your life when you need it and speak the encouragement into your life when you need it and remind you to live out of these scriptures? Third diagnostic question. Are you studying these scriptures and applying them every day? If not, start today. It's here that we find life. It's here that is the source material for our everyday lives worth imitating. And last question, if you have a life worth imitating, who are you discipling? Who are you passing it on to? Because all of the tools and all the goodness that this word has to offer should not stop with you. It wasn't that long ago that uh, I was put in this intentional discipleship relationship for one year with this guy named Jock. And Jock had full access to my life. I had full access to his life. And for one year, we would meet almost weekly uh, and, and learn all of these tools of discipleship. And he just poured into me and poured into me and poured into me. And it was incredible. I felt like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Like this guy loves me and is, is just pouring scripture and speaking scripture over me, praying for me, knowing what's going on in my life and encouraging me every step of the way. And my life felt like, gosh, this is, this is it. And then about halfway through the year, he comes to me and he's like, all right, who are you discipling? I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, I'm meeting with you. Who are you meeting with? I'm like, well, you know, I mean, I've been praying about these guys. Maybe I'll disciple these guys or whatever. And he's like, okay, well, give me that list of names. I'm like, okay, there's nine of them. He's like, okay, good. I'm glad you're praying through all of these. And he goes, okay, challenge this week. You're going to go talk to those nine guys and ask them if, if they'd be open to you discipling them. I'm like, all nine? You need to be praying. I'm, I'm, Jock, I'm praying about this. You know, maybe it's one. I don't have a lot of time. I'm busy. I got a lot of kids. And he's like, no. No, God has given you all nine of these names. Go ask them all. Eight of them said yes. I was like, Jock, I don't think you understand, man. I got a lot of life. I don't have time for this. He's like, yeah. Yeah, you do. God's going to multiply your time. You're going to disciple all these guys at once. You're going to get them all together. I'm like, okay, so like once a month we're going to get, and he's like, no, every week. I'm like, okay. So I prayed about that for another week, and he's, then I started, and I was like, okay, guys, we're going to meet every week in the morning. We're going to be open. We're going to give access to each other's lives. I discipled those guys for a year. 
I saw these men open up and confess sin that they had not confessed to anybody before. And I saw them healed and restored. I saw some of them that were introverts that said, there is no way I will ever disciple another person. That is way too intimidating. I have a hard enough time walking into the church with all those people, let alone leading. And he started discipling another guy. I saw time after time after time, these guys' lives become beautiful. And my time with Jock started to pale in comparison to my time with these eight men. What I started to see was that when you lean into discipleship, to being discipled, and you lean into making other disciples, you start to get to live the real life. The life that we read right here. I don't know about you, but sometimes I read the scriptures and I'm like, when do I get to do the stuff? The real stuff that's in here. When do I get to see lives healed, marriages restored? When do I get to see people raised from the dead? Like that's the kind of stuff that I read about that I want. And when I discipled these eight guys, I got to do the stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm living this. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're dealing with that? Like, hold on, I think there's something in here about that. Hey, try this. Let's pray through this scripture this week and see if that works. And then come back, no way, that works. Guess what, guys? Discipleship works. So let me ask these questions again. Do you have a life worth imitating? Have you given your life to Jesus? Surrendered it to him? Who's discipling you so that you have a life worth imitating and you keep that life worth imitating? Are you in these scriptures and applying it daily? This is the source material. And then who are you discipling? Who are you passing it on to? All of the love and the discipleship that's being poured into you isn't just for you. It's for someone else. Use the life that God is giving you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this passage and this reminder that that we can have a life worth imitating if we, if we find our life in you. God, we pray that, that you might lead us to fully surrender our lives to you, that we might be led to find somebody that would disciple us, that would remind us and encourage us of your scriptures and, and teach us how to read this, this book and apply it in our everyday lives. And God, for those of us in this room that have a life worth imitating, that are, that are in these scriptures or in your word, God, would you guide us to who it is that we're supposed to disciple so that your name might be known and lived and we might get to live just like the Bible. Pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch contact.
Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.